watching the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Oh, baby, it is back. And I'm screaming hot. i got to calm down here a little bit on the mic. Hot mic. Hot mic. Jay Sanders, Mike Gallagher. And we are so stoked to bring you another season of Sanders and the Sidekick, a little normalcy for the simple reason that fall sports will be fall, winter sports will be winter, spring will be spring, allegedly, because we still got to get through all this to make sure. But right now, everything is where it's supposed to be. we got a lot of ground to cover. We'll talk about the new format, just going to a couple days, a couple longer editions. Going to get it out a little sooner for the weekend games, blah, 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 all that. Anyways, let's welcome in. My God, Mike, hey, buddy, quick question. Have you grown? No, I'm pretty much stuck at about 5 foot 10 for the rest of my life, but it looks like you've grown, not vertically, but horizontally in the last four or so months. Am a little I, girthy? Yeah, yeah sure. Am I, am I on target there? I, I mean, the, the weigh-in before we ended the last show and the weigh-in this morning was slightly different. Slightly different? Only uh, slightly. <laughs> it, was, it was up. Where's the 10,000 crunch? Ooh, I, I know I, that's what everybody wants to know. because that I have to check. Have, uh, I'll get back to you after a cup of coffee. <laughs> okay, so odds are you're not doing it every day, otherwise you'd be keeping track. If you, go, if you have to go back and double-check. Oh, I don't have to double-check. At, at the end of every day, I put a date and the total amount, so it's not going to be that hard to look in my phone. I just refuse to look at it right now. Well, you know me. I'm a personal before business type guy. You know, I have pleasure before we get down to the nitty-gritty. How was your summer? You know, how was the family, all that? It was, uh, my wife did the overcompensation COVID vacations, so, like, way too packed, way too much, way too many things that uh, my wife just was convinced that, you know, the kids suffered because we didn't do this, we didn't do that. So I'm actually looking forward to fall. Kids obviously have been back in school in the state of Tennessee for quite some time now, so very excited about that. Have them all at the same school. I cannot tell you the one drop-off in the morning. Where you pull in, you kick all three of them out, and you drive off is life changing because it was a couple of different places you had to drop them off. Now we're at the same school for two years, and then it goes back to uh, not being. But that's good. What about you, Bo? Well, you know, after like six months of not having really weird, strange stuff going on, did you invent stuff to well, do for yourself? It was very strange. I, I get out of air here today with you, and I almost don't know what really to talk about in the personal realm or even in the ETSU realm without obviously doing deep dives into many different subjects that we will on Santos and the Psychic this year. This is season four. That was one of the most astounding things to me when we got on air here today and I was preparing for today's show is that we have gone three full seasons. Uh, people seem to keep coming back now, most of them for the first show, and then they realize it's still you and me and they mm. run for the hills. But people do, do still come back to the show, which is encouraging. Um, but without all the controversy and without all the uh, crazy amount of events packed into one three or four month period and at least without at the moment um, attendance and capacity regulations and um, COVID being at the forefront of everyone's minds now arguably it still should be right I mean it's still raging out of control but uh, we're trying to continue as normal um, so it seems right now uh, so without all of that really weighing on the shoulders and the minds of yourself, myself, um, the people around here, fans, I think, you know, with the continued desire to get back to normal and have fall be fall, winter be winter, spring be spring, and COVID not be something that controls everybody's lives, um, it's kind of weird, you know? Like, I, I got used to the really heavy-hitting, um, hard-knock type subjects, but now I sit here with you uh, five days before ETSU football takes on Vanderbilt in Nashville. 
five days before the Bucks get underway with what has potential to be a Southern Conference championship season. Um, and just a couple of months ahead of the first years of Simon Harris and Desmond Oliver, and all of this stuff we'll dive into deeper in segment two, and then, of course, throughout the show this week and for many weeks to come. But um, with things kind of looking like they're going to be pretty standard this year, um, I don't know. My mind is spinning, standing in place, if that makes sense. I think it's going to be interesting because we were, you know, we I think we both enjoy the podcast to come on to some have a little fun, talk a little sport, and then just kind of get away from the mundane normal job, right? Because let's, let's face it, me and you love games. All the other stuff we have to do in between the games is, and it's fine, pays the bills, but we like games. Like, we really like going to games, calling games. That's really the bread and butter. So we were so jammed last year, it kind of felt like we would both rush in here podcast-wise and did the best we could. And let's be honest, there were some subjects last year and some things that hit and just a whirlwind where we would just have to come on hours after finding out or we would do a show and an hour later something would break and, you know, we'd just be scratching our heads and trying to come in here. And, and on top of all the other things, um, and then you juggling a couple of duties with SID and play with some of that. So this is just a lot going on. So I'm looking forward to um, we kind of sat down and talked about revamping the show. We're going to go two days, um, Monday, Thursday. This is the fourth different year, and I think the fourth different schedule that we put forth. <laughs> yeah, well, and in fairness, last year was just to survive podcast seasons, right. <laughs> just like this, this season. Games would get canceled, we'd get ready. I mean, it was just a lot going on. You know, we started five days for simple reason of we were trying to sell the show to a radio station, and still that radio station is interested um, there's just obviously some monetary stuff we got to work out on buying. So, anyway, long story short, we we could do five days, one hour, and we were talking about doing it. So that's why we originally did the podcast that way, to show that we could do it. Then uh, went to three days because we were at Silence Radio Station, so, you know, we could cover everything in three days. The idea this year of two days is to get out the podcast on Thursday so people have more time. Uh, on Thursday and Friday to try to listen before the weekend's games. The not complaints, but a couple of things were like, "Oh man, you know, you put out a show Friday, but you know, I get a chance to listen to it. And the game's already over with." So, especially with football, because it is pretty much every Saturday um, that we thought you know we could go Thursdays there. Basketball kind of play by ear. Uh, if we'll do two days or a shortened three-day version, we'll figure that out. But trying to get as much stuff as we can get jam-packed in and have fun. I think that's the one thing. Like, yes, we love to recap ETSU. Yes, we love to preview. We love to talk to coaches and players and sound bites and all that good fun stuff. But we also like to have a little bit of fun and uh, poke fun at everybody else around the sports world. Like like if we were doing fail downs, which we're not. The story broke today about the fake high school that played IMG on, on uh, ESPN on Sunday is quite yeah. spectacular if you haven't read that. So, I mean, there's a lot of fail that You know, and I'm not poking fun at it. Well, I am poking fun at ESPN. Because you're, you know, billion-dollar company, you can't figure out if a high school's real or not. I mean, I just, I don't, I don't know how that happens in today's world with with media of all kinds. But like I said, we like doing that stuff. That aside, you hit on, I think, a good point about last year, where because of the schedule and because of the myriad of things that are, let's be honest, outside of our expertise. Right? We are not uh, social justice experts. Uh, we are not medical experts. <laughs> we sit here and we're a couple of guys that call games and do a show, but those things were completely unavoidable last year and we tackled them as best we could. Um, they were difficult. 
to talk about, uh, and specifically the world of ETSU last year from about February to early April. Um, that was hard. And not saying we would ever shy away from those conversations, not saying we don't try and take them head on and have the conversations in the right ways and stand for the right things. Um, but because of the schedule, because of those topics, it was tough to do the show at times last year. Uh, and with everything jammed into a three- or four-month period, it did feel more like you were coming in just to um, police traffic cop a little bit, you know, and just try and keep up. Where this year we do hope to get back to with things more spread out. Um, I think, you know, fun stuff. And there was a lot of uh, and fun stuff along with, you know, obviously doing our due diligence on everything else and covering games and recaps, previews, all that stuff. But uh, being able to come in and really immerse ourselves with the show again. Uh, for instance, though, this summer held a lot of great things for ETSU. Uh, Seamus Powell had an unbelievable summer where he made, uh, I think it was almost like $1.5 million in six, eight weeks, like life-changing occurrences on the PGA Tour. Uh, the Buccaneers, I think, was the big one for ETSU fans that carried the Bucks through what is, I've heard it called the sports abyss in the past, right? Like that time right after the NBA and NHL finish up their Stanley Cup or, you know, championships, and you've got baseball. And you know I love baseball as much as the next guy. You call a lot of baseball. You enjoy baseball. I played baseball. I love calling baseball. But when you just have baseball and the NFL hasn't come around, you can't speculate about who's going to be what this year in fantasy football and all that stuff. Um, there's some nothingness there, and the Buccaneers really – helped fill that void this summer, um, and a variety of other things with, uh, I think, what was cool for me was people of this show's past uh, going and doing some really cool things, and uh, just other various items that helped fill that void that usually is lack of Buccaneer season. Thankfully, there was stuff this summer, and we're going to have a number of guests on over this first month to kind of recap the summer, um, whether it be later this week, early next week, we'll start um, that myriad of individuals that will come on to uh, recap the summer, you know, catch up with them, see how things have been going in their worlds, uh, because I think that summer, while it wasn't as, I think, breakneck, controversial, um, scary if we're talking COVID, you know, dangerous if we're talking COVID, as last summer was, um, there is still stuff to catch up on, so we're going to do a lot of that uh, as well. So there's tons of stuff to talk about, there's tons of stuff to do and discuss, like there always is, you know, you and me can always find stuff to go over uh, in unbelievable amounts of detail and probably go more time than we needed to. Uh, I don't think that'll be uh, any different this year, would be my guess. <laughs> I mean, okay, when we go two shows, that means, let's be honest, those are going to be two longer shows. Yeah, so, yeah. But I think the just the game plan of trying to get that show, it didn't make sense to do Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, but to try to get it out earlier. And again, I would, I, you know, this always is a shameless plug, but if you subscribe to the podcast, on any of the ways you need to get it, whether it's iTunes, whether it's SoundCloud, there are others that have started to pick up because I think the sheer number of shows we've put out, we've qualified for other uh, podcasts, and I've left it open. We've not shut any um, streaming service out that wants to carry us. So there's ways to do it, but if you do subscribe to it, that is the easiest way since it's uploaded to get it, or some have it even automatically downloaded to the phone. You'll be able to do that, so I can't uh, encourage you to do that more. Also, want to talk about. I think we did a good job last year, uh, and I like talking mid-major top twenty-five. I like talking the FCS polls and all that. But we spent a lot more time on the SoCon. Yeah, we did. And I, I and I think that's that, that is one change I think I would like to continue to do because I think that did drive some 
other chatter. And to be honest with you, it, it drove other fans um, rather, you know, of course a lot of them disagreed with a lot of what we said, but still it drove other fans to, to come in and, and chime in and do whatever. And I think we've uh, always been fair. Well, I've been always been semi-fair to every team but one, as, as we'll get into a little bit later. Also, I want to uh, – what do you think about this new uh, segment? I just thought of this right this second. Okay. So uh, listening to – on our flagship station, WXSM, they've got the Eric Ains show. And they do a show. I'm not going to show. I'm not going to lie. No, but they have, <laughs> they have one segment I do enjoy. And it is basically where it is um, Georgia, Florida, or Alabama. And they read ridiculous stuff, and you have to guess what state it is. I would love to do that and call it Furman, Wofford, Chattanooga. <laughs> so are you saying those are your three most? It may change uh, each week, but oh, okay. uh, I, I can tell you—I can tell you which which team is always going to be in there. <laughs> well, here's a here's a tease. It's a brilliant game. Though. Here's a tease for the show over the next six months. It may be difficult for you to reason with and deal with some of my takes on the SOCON this year because the team that you're discussing I may have some opinions on that you will be frustrated by that will irk you that may make you downright want to go outside take a long walk around campus come back and still hack me into pieces because I think that your favorite school outside of ETSU, perhaps your favorite school in the country and the world outside of ETSU, sure. or at least favorite if we're being honest, is about to have a pretty good year. And a couple sports. A couple big sports. That hurts. <laughs> all right. That's, 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 all right. This, you ready? I think that's about as good of a tease. All right. Let's get it going. Speculate that Bright Ridge is actually a big fan. Really? Uh, mm-hmm. We have a corporate fan. We do. I really thought we were just throwing commercials in there just to fill time. No, I, I, I want to say what was the other? Was it lottery? Uh, I think the lottery. I'm not sure the lottery. Makes some sense. I'm not sure the lottery's listening to us, really? but um, well, the the buys from the lottery come from the Bunting Group out of Nashville, and I'm just guessing that they look at uh, values and certain <laughs> things, and then they pick what they want. So you're saying uh, our reach doesn't go all the way to the city of the state? Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm saying the, the Bunting group doesn't listen to us. Um, and, and maybe the lottery in general uh, doesn't listen to us. They're too busy handing out you know, $6.97 billion, whatever the number is, which, let's be honest, when that got voted in, I just graduated college when they did the vote for that. And to see where that thing, people didn't want to vote it in because it was gambling. And, you know, don't want to get too political here, but the bobble bed here does not, you know, now, all of a sudden, we're going to have a casino in Bristol, Virginia. And plenty of, so, things, uh, gambling, sports gambling is legal. So, um, the amount of content out there about sports gambling right now by mainstream big networks is pretty great. Yeah, and, and you know, it's still one of those, like, personal choices, right? You want to buy a lottery ticket, buy a lottery ticket. You don't want to buy a lottery ticket, but, but who has um, done well with the lottery are the students, and that helps provide a lot of things. So, I, they're a fan of the podcast. Uh, Sounds they, like you're making a pitch to have them back. 
I think I will double check. Uh, I've not been given the sponsor. But yes, yes, people do like us. I, I don't know how much uh, people like person. listening to breaks in a podcast, but you know what? That just means we're loved. It doesn't make a lot of sense. That's right, because you can hit pause and you play. can fast forward to thirty seconds. Right? Yeah. I mean, we. I, I mean, you do a great job of putting the exact time. So even if people don't want to listen to our other segments and they want to fast forward to other segments, I I know for a fact people tell me that they do enjoy like. Hey man, you know I, I just want to hear X. You know I know there's one women's basketball fan is like, hey, I just fast forward every time there's a women's basketball segment. I don't, which is fine. What, whatever your druthers are, we're fine with. But yes, I think we do, um, and it, I will try to get that on. Do you think it makes us sound big time when we have uh, spots in a podcast? Oh, well, a little bit more official at least. I mean, I'm just hitting bumper after bumper here. It's just you and me talking to each other. We got no financial backing. I don't know what we're gonna do. We certainly have financial back. Okay, good. I've seen the, you're right. I have seen the Ben Wagner contract. We have financial back. It is back. therapeutic. You're absolutely right. Uh, and you're right about last year with the Southern Conference. We stepped up our coverage more there, I think, with football. Uh, to a lesser extent, I'd say football, more so men's basketball. We were doing a lot of portal watch for men's basketball before the show went on a hiatus for the summer, as it often does. Really, we haven't been gone that long. I think we did a show mid-April. Usually we cut it off about mid-March, and then we're not back till this time. So it, it hasn't been nearly as long, about four, four and a half months, as opposed to five and a half or six, as it usually would be. Yeah, we carry through signing day and for oh, yeah. basketball, and, and we're usually never on for that. So. Right. So we did a lot, uh, I think, later on than we usually would have, and that was just by necessity of the fact that football went on into the spring until about uh, mid-April, well, for some schools, obviously. Uh, but speaking of SoCon football, we posed some questions in the announcement tweet that the show would be back on Monday. This is Monday. We're happy to be with you. And if you broke down that tweet, it looked like there were three questions. Really, there were five questions. And I think we should spend the bulk of this show trying to not necessarily in-depth, dive deep, answer these questions, but at least have preliminary discussions. These are probably the five questions that we are going to look at most on this show, I'd say. We'll be ever-present on this show from now until we get to mid-March and the show goes on another five-and-a-half, six-month hiatus as it does, and I would not believe that it would possibly come back for a season five, but I didn't think we'd get past season one, so maybe it will. Uh, these are the questions that should be in the back of every listener's mind, every Southern Conference fan and every ETSU fan's mind going into this year and depending on season, um, going into the calendar year of 2022, and I think the first one is very obvious as we posed it. Jay, you don't have to dig too far into the tweet to find it. Is ETSU football title-bound? And I've done a lot of research here, and we're going to break down the Southern Conference on Thursday in a great amount of depth. But when I say that question to you, pose that to you on the show, in our first show of this season, obviously it's a big one. ETSU does have one championship under head coach Randy Sanders back in 2018 in his first year. 2019, all the close games go against you. 2020, in contention for a title that I'm not sure everyone took seriously, quote-unquote, because it was spring. Not everyone played the same amount of games. Some schools didn't finish the year, so on and so forth. Uh, I thought, and I think it was very obvious that ETSU and Randy Sanders thought that this would be as legitimate as a title as ever. Uh, there were FCS playoffs. There was a national champion crown, so... I thought schools like ETSU were wise to take it seriously. Other schools did not, chose to opt out, uh, or were forced by injury to opt out, depending on how you look at it. Fall, there is going to be none of that. If a team cannot play because of COVID, it's a forfeit. There are no opt-outs, quote-unquote, 
this is as real as it gets. This is football in the fall, back and better than ever. Is ETSU football title-bound? First thing that comes to your mind. First thing that comes to my mind, title-bound. No, title-bound is not the first thing coming to my mind. Unfortunately, it's what you just talked about. Will, will there be every game played? And how will that affect? Because we saw last year with the spring. Now, the difference is if you can't play, right, you already said it, it it's not a reschedule and then a no contest. Like, you take a loss. If you cannot play, you take the loss. So that does change things because there could be a situation, you know, just one of those things where a team has to call one that could affect the standing. So the first thing to me is, will all the games actually be played on the field? That's the absolute first thing that comes to my mind. The second thing that comes to my mind, and it's the billion-dollar question, who's a quarterback? What's quarterback going to look like? What's quarterback going to do? Is the quarterback going to be able to perform? We know Tyler Rodell, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but he's going to be the starter week one. But as we know, every year Randy Sanders has been here, the starter of week one has not finished as the starter. Now, some of that – due to injury, some of that because he's pulled people out before. So the quarterback is the question. And then the third thing would be title bound. So I think it's three on my list. Uh, you know, are they going to be title bound? And I think the defense returned about everybody on the two deep. They add Austin Lewis, uh, the transfer from Liberty. I think that is huge. I think they've added a ton of new names on the receiver side. I think obviously we saw what uh, – Julian Price was able to do. I think we know Will Huzzy. If Will, Isaiah Wilson can stay healthy, then you add in two or three other receivers, can the quarterback get him the ball? It's a healthy Nate Atkins this year. I think he's looked tremendous so far. Um, you add him and Noah West at the tight end slots. The line's about 40 pounds heavier per man than when they played Vanderbilt two years ago. So everything, I think, is building towards that if one position comes around. So, to be clear, because it sounded like when you were answering the question at first that ETSU football is not title-bound. You don't think they're title-bound, or depending on what happens in the quarterback position, that is the make or break. I, I think that's the make or break. I think that will 100%. I think the defense will do what it did and could win you five or six games in the league just by there. But if the offense could ever get a, a modest 24, 27, 28 points a game, I really don't know. You know, unless they got into a shootout with somebody who's just, you know, like Sanford where they'll score 50 and give up 50, I, I don't know. It would be tough for me um, to see in a traditional style football game ETSU putting up 28 points and the defense just giving up an absurd amount. I just, I just don't see that with the way they played last year with everyone returning. I know other teams have other guys coming back and some of that changes, but, man, they were locked in last year. And I feel like they all came back with sort of that notion of unfinished business. And so I feel like the defensive ends there, we know the line and the running games there. We know the tight ends, the deepest of anybody in the league, quarterback, receiver. But it starts with quarterback. Real quick before we move on to the next question, and you and me have watched a lot of football in camp with ETSU. Who has been the number one standout for you? I have my answer, but it may differ. Number one standout for me is honestly going to be, can the guy even get carries, Bryson Irvin. He has been unbelievable. I'm still shocked he didn't at least get a couple of carries at VMI. I know Randy Sanders didn't want to trust the, the, the true freshman. And when you have Quay Holmes, right. and he's a workhorse, yeah. and he just does everything. I, I totally get it. But, man, he is 
we heard a lot about Bryson Irby coming in. I'll say this, Jacob Sayles, who has had some injuries and some ankles and some things that, you know, he's missed one or two games here and there. I feel very good about Bryson Irby filling in. The one thing about Irby I haven't seen a lot of, two, can he pick up block? I mean, can he play enough to where if you play action, if somebody checks out of something, can he block? And that's a big key to Randy Sanders and getting playing time. And then the second thing is I'm not I'm not seeing him catch a lot of balls yet, so I'm not sure because obviously Sanders and Holmes can catch the football coming out of the backfield. But, man, when that guy runs, I've seen him run over people. I've seen two long touchdown runs where he's left some of our DBs in the dust, which is saying something because, you know, Karan Lynch, Tyree, those guys can run. And Track so, champion, Karan Lynch. <laughs> so, I mean, Bryson Irby by far um, is a guy that I would I would watch out for. And, and maybe number two, Malik Murray. I haven't seen a lot out of him, but he's the wide receiver transfer from Georgia Southern. Been out there a lot. So what I love about him was he's a leading receiver at Georgia Southern, so I mean he had like 21, 22 catches or something. <laughs> That's right. But he got tired of, you know, cutting people and blocking and blocking and then, you know, occasionally catch one deep, and that's great. But he he walked on. They said, hey, we don't have any money for you. You know, we really weren't preparing to bring in receivers. And he was like, look, I just want somebody to throw me the ball. I love that. Like, he's willing to, you know what, I'll go somewhere and play for free, basically. Or not free. I will pay my way, right? The opposite. I yeah, will right. pay my way. Right. If you'll just throw me the ball, just just throw me the ball. Some. So I, I like that. I, th- I think he could be a nice fourth receiver in the mix for ETSU. Second question as we dig a little bit deeper in this tweet that I sent out on, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, saying the show is back on Monday. And we'll get to the men's basketball side of this in just a little bit. We're kind of chronologically going through what you should look for in this 2021-22 academic and athletic year. Is SOCON football more wide open than ever? Again, we don't have to get super heavy into it. We don't have to break down every team. We'll do that on Thursday because I believe that, is it four teams? There's four or five games on Thursday that involves SOCON yes. teams. Now, ETSU, of course, plays Saturday, but as we expand our Southern Conference coverage and try to do even more this year than we did last year, be more consistent over a longer period of time, this is a big question to answer. Thursday, we'll give you every team, every breakdown, big names, who's back, who's not, so on and so forth. But in your mind, as we just look from a high-level view down at the league, nine teams last year. There were tons of games from bottom to top. Maybe take out Western Carolina, but one to eight that you looked and said, well, if this goes this way and this goes this way, these standings could completely be flipped on their head. It appears to me that this year could be more of the same. And not going into too much detail, I, I can make an argument for six teams. Six teams that could possibly get hot to win it. I think the known teams that people are automatically going to point to early, I think, would be VMI, ETSU, Chattanooga. Right. Probably some would throw Furman, but you throw what Mercer was able to do. And then, I, honestly, when Sanford put Liam Welch in um, last year, which was after the ETSU game, thank goodness, uh, he lit up the scoreboard, very Devlin Hodges-esque numbers, and they were very efficient. And of course, they didn't stop anybody, but they, you know, the typical 500 yards, Chris Hatcher offense, put numbers on the board. You know, and then there's some curious. Wofford's never been in this spot before, uh, where they're at the bottom of the league. Citadel has found invented ways to lose a game in the first quarter out of all quarters to lose games. And West Carolina's got a coach that I'm very familiar with, the former Florida Gator uh, quarterback, Kerwin Bell, did great things at Jacksonville, national championship Valdosta State. 
brought his all-world quarterback in Valdosta State with him, so learning that offense is going to be a little easier when your quarterback knows what's going on. So I'll be curious to see. I think this is going to be a great league uh, to follow, and we'll go into more detail later. Uh, and I think Thursday, too, will tell a lot because there's a couple of key games. One, obviously, there's a couple of bye games. Mercer bought point to come in and take a loss. Citadel's going to get a paycheck to drive up the road to Conway to take on Coastal Carolina. But Tennessee Tech at Sanford, you know, is Sanford where they were? But then the big one, top 25 matchup, Austin sure. P uh, and, and in-state, Austin P at Chattanooga. And then Saturday, North Carolina A&T is a top 25 team. They're going to be at Furman. So, I, I mean, there's an Eastern Kentucky at Western. We'll know what Western's got. So there's three or four nice matchups of FCS uh, versus FCS in the league that I think will tell us a little bit about the league. And selfishly, you know, I kind of hope Sanford, Chattanooga, you know, Furman, Western, and Wofford uh, all pick up wins. I mean, if Chad didn't, I'm fine. But, I mean, um, at least let them pick up the non-conference win. Against Austin P, and I think that would help the league. It is interesting. I don't know if you saw it. You mentioned Nate Welch, which is why I'm bringing this up. But Chris Oladogan, who was the one that was keeping Welch off the field, plays against DTSU, had a pretty solid game. Great first quarter. Unbelievable first quarter. Certainly wasn't anything where you'd look and say, he's got to go. You know, he's out. And we go with Welch. Um, but they do end up going with William Welch. And again, he has a very good year. But just to tell you the embarrassment of riches that it seems like Sanford always has in the quarterback position, Oladokun transfers out, and he's now the starter at a program that is perennial top five, top ten in the nation, South Coast. <laughs> that man's going from South Florida, right, then to Sanford, lost his job, and then gets another. He's, he'd be a starting quarterback at three different schools. It's unbelievable. He, and he was <clears> – <throat> I mean, Oladokun was talented, and we heard Welch was going to play, but he had such a good start. And then I think it was the same thing. Well, we said we're going to play Welch in game, you know, one, and we didn't. So let's let him start game two, and we'll put Oladokun in later. And then Welch didn't give up the job. So I mean, it, I mean, Coach Hatcher rides the hot hand. He rode it in the game one. It just didn't continue, and he certainly rode the hot hand in game two, uh, and continues to ride that. And Liam Welch, who was the preseason player of the year, so um, Sanford's going to be able to light up the scoreboard. That's what they do, and. Lost some tough, tight games. The VMI was a double overtime. I think they lost you overtime. A couple of the Furman. games, and they're the league champion last year. And they oh, had easy. overtime games. Easy. Uh, I mean, even the TSU game. I mean, the, there were three or four games that they were they were knocking on the door uh, just a, a score away. And now, you know, with one more year under his belt for, for Liam Welch, it, it's going to be impressive. So I think this is going to be by far, since ETSU's been back in the league, the best race the Southern Conference will have. And they'll probably – and, again, nationally won't get a whole lot unless somebody runs the table, right. um, which I don't see how that's going to happen. But right now I think it's going to hurt them a little bit nationally because they're going to beat up. But for fans to watch week in and week out, I think it's going to be tremendous. And it drives me crazy, and you and me always talk about this, but it drives me crazy because unless a team does run the league or run the table in the league or there's a two- or three-horse race at the top – because I think, like you, this is going to be a six, maybe even seven-team race for the Southern Conference Championship this year. That's looked down upon nationally because, oh, there's no clear number one. You know, there's no powerhouse. It, it can't be the fact. It can't be the other side of it and say, look at the parity. Look at everybody. I it mean, depends on what league you're in and how it's perceived, right? From one through seven. Missouri Valley or four and five, what's well, just a parity? That's, that's just, right. That's right. But you SEC is it's just a parity. Right? You, you win uh, any other league, and it's uh, uh, what's a, the what's a proper term? Booty cakes. There you go. It's never look at the parity. It's always it's not strong at the top.
middle of five questions, and we pride ourselves, I think, Jay, you and me both, about covering Southern Conference women's basketball as much as we cover Southern Conference Love men's basketball. Southern Conference women's basketball. And there's a new face at the head of ETSU women's basketball program. You've had a chance to spend time around them. I've had a chance to spend time around them. Um, phenomenal individual, I think you could say off the top. Uh, his staff reflects that, and they brought in a lot of new bodies, uh, a lot of high-level talent, upper echelon talent, to try and turn what has been a 23-58 and 58 last three years into a team that is contending in the Southern Conference. Again, Simon Harris in his first year with ETSU women's basketball. Again, this is more down the road. We talk football, but we've got basketball season that will go straight through as well for about four months. And really, that's that's what we cover in the winter, right? Like, yeah, we'll talk a little bit of baseball. We'll do a little bit of football wrap-up. We'll do some football signing day. But in the winter, it is basketball. Johnson City loves basketball, whether it is women or men. When there's a winning product on the court, the fans show up. Simon Harris, first year. Knowing him, knowing his staff, knowing the team as you do, knowing those returners and also some of those newer players that have come in, what do you think the first year holds? Well, obviously improvement, number one. I think it's a different style offense. Um, I, love, I will say this. Do you get tired when, when people ask you what, do you, what do you think of the new coach? I feel like a broken record. I'm like, well, hey, all new coaches I love, right? Because they're just – New coaches are new to everything and not coached the game. They've not done anything. But in the same token, we deal with them on such a personal level and some other things that it, I don't know what else they think I'm going to say. Like, I don't know if you do that. So I was like, what do you think of new coaches? Well, it's great. I mean, I enjoy them. It's also our job right. to not only say it, but interact with them right. and make them feel welcome. You know? but, but in the same token, it's like, you know, I mean, I, honestly – I still talk to – I'm sure you do too. I still talk to Brittany. Yeah. I talk to Brad. I don't talk to all these people. So, I mean, like, we just like – it's just – it's kind of funny. I'm like, well, you know, I like them all. That's, well, you like them because I haven't played a game yet, and we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I mean, that's really – it's not how I like them. It's how everyone responds to them. But I, I, I do like Coach Harris. I do enjoy um, that his staff has, has just been accommodating as um, – Karen Kemp's was, as Brittany Zell's. They've always given access. They love to have us there. It's not a problem. Answer any questions, send the text messages. I mean, it's just it, it's great to deal with. And I'm curious to see, because I think there's tremendous talent on the roster that's left over, um, and I think there is tremendous talent that is coming in. How quick will it go? Will Ja'Kia Davis, who you know I'm a huge fan of, will she be able to sort of take a step up? and continue to play. Will Courtney Moore find her range? Obviously, we know Kai Upton, what she can do. How does my Adams kind of fit in this role? My Kai Dowdell, we'll see how her season goes. But there's a lot of new faces. Abby Carrington, I don't want to leave out. Carly Hooks obviously made a big step up. So I like the returners. I think the right return, other than Elise Stafford, the right returners came back, right? I would love to have seen Elise come back for one more. Uh, and I think she's at Utah State. Right. So... Um, good luck to her, but I'm kind of curious to see some of the players they brought in. And probably the most intriguing is Jameer Hudson, and I want to see exactly how she plays. She's a transfer from the University of Miami of Florida, and six foot, and she has hit the weight room. She is jacked. She's muscular. She looks the part. She looks intimidating and imposing where a lot of post players in the Southern Conference not necessarily do. And I know she's sort of a, a swing man uh, at six foot, but she can play inside, she can play out. So I, I, 
honestly, I think she maybe fills the Elise Stafford role that, that she had. But I'll be curious to see um, how she messes. She's the one. And then there's a couple uh, ladies that transferred from UT Martin, and then there's a bunch of high school kids, which we'll, we'll see how that plays out. And North Alabama, I forgot another transfer. But, I, you know, it's very guard-heavy. They want to run. It's probably going to be four out, one in. Um, you know, uh, maybe some high-low with, with uh, a post that can shoot and some others. But it looks like – it's a run and gun. They want to play tempo. Um, they're going to get shots off. You know, they're going to add a little bit of full court press, which Coach Zell was able to do as well. So I think that that's a nice kind of keeping something similar. But I'm just curious to see. Scoring was the problem last year. They were anemic. So playing faster, get them up tempo, seemed to be better for ETSU. When they pressed, they seemed to be better. So will that continue to be better? Uh, under the new system, and if so, then I think, you know, if nothing else, there's a 15-20 point jump in the scoring average after you won the old season prediction later, by the way. I think that there's going to be improvement here. Uh, I think that the teams of the past couple of years were on the verge of doing some, you know, things that really could have made the outcomes of the seasons and of what has been a coaching search, right? Uh, that may never have happened if some of those things went their way, but some injuries, um, and obviously COVID, you know, made things difficult. Uh, and you look at the writing on the wall after a couple of years, right? Like 23 and 58, as I mentioned, like 23 wins over three years is, is just not enough. A couple of things to watch for. Jayla Roberts out of North Alabama, she made a huge jump from freshman to sophomore a year, was just kind of your everyday role player in her first season, and then all of a sudden she's averaging double digits. She can do a lot of different things on the court. I think she's going to be really exciting to watch. Tamir Houston, as you mentioned, University of Miami, so you know that she's got talent. It's now, I think, for the coaching staff about putting her in the right positions, having her work within the system that they want to put in place. Um, those two, very exciting. Uh, Makaya Dowdell, now she's expecting her first child within the next month and a half, two months, so her status going forward is uncertain, but with or without Makaya, you still do have Carly Hooks and Makaya Davis back. Those are your top two scorers from last year, and add that to uh, not only Roberts uh, and Houston, but you mentioned the UT Martin transfers and Maya Griffin, and I think someone they're really excited about is Demi Burdick, who's at that size, six foot two. She is not just your typical post player. She can operate a little bit on the perimeter, you know, kind of in that mid-range too. Um, so with Jakiah Davis at six foot two, six foot three, along with Demi Burdick, I think there's a lot to look at in terms of those, you know, quote unquote posts. But Jakiah can shoot the three. Burdick is someone that can step out and hit that 15 to 18 footer as well. So this is going to be a very interesting first year under Simon Harris. That one I'm certainly excited to see unfold. Okay, let's go to ETSU men's basketball. Desmond Oliver, again, this is coming from that tweet on Monday, saying, hey, we're back, or scheduled for Monday, it was from last week, hey, we're back, here's the questions that we want to keep in the back of your mind. Desmond Oliver's first year here at ETSU, this is a team you're with every single day, this is a team that you travel with, this is a team that you cover like no other. Desmond Oliver with a lot back from last year. It may not be in sheer numbers, but in sheer production, you have a ton back in a Southern Conference we're going to talk about in just a second that has a number of teams that don't have a lot back. I think with the Brewers, a decade, David Sloan, there's certainly some positivity coming this year. It's just, can it all be put together? I mean, if you throw Vonnie in there, you have a starting five. That's right. I mean, you could still have, think about that, you could still have a starting five off last year's mass exodus that we've never seen before at ETSU. And then you add in all the newcomers. I'll say this, out of the newcomers, I think they, I think our fans that tune in the podcast probably know the first five you named. 
Out of the newcomers, Jordan King from Siena has jumped off the charts for me every time I'm down there. It is unbelievable to see how talented that young man is. And for a freshman, I think Alan Struthers, another guard from Virginia, uh, who ETSU's had great success from that Newport News area. Maybe people remember Tim Smith. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. All-time leading scorer in ETSU basketball history. So um, I think those two guys are the first two that jump off at me. The other thing that is quite amazing is sometimes you read guys' size, right? Which, by the way, Ty Brewer grew to 6'9". Have you seen that? I don't remember. Oh, wow. I don't remember Ty being 6'9". Uh, at Lake Grossberg. Well, I, I guess. Often I remember, talking I remember, about, I remember about 6'4". Right. So, so I don't know. Uh, Anyways, I was just – but South Sadeke is 6'8", right? I mean, we can – Every bit of it. Okay. So, Cordell Charles listed 6'8". Matt Nunez is 6'10". Jordan Seymour, 6'8". Isaac Ferrara, 6'7". And we know Charlie Weber is about 6'8", 6'9". Out of the four newcomers I just named, every one of them are taller than Deke when he stands side by side. I am amazed at sometimes when you're like, hey, we're bringing these big guys, lengthy guys, you know, long – Wingspan. I mean, the wingspan of Cordell Charles is incredible. I mean, just watching him um, guard guys and put his hands up, you're like, holy cow. Like, I don't know what his 7'5 wingspan. I mean, he's got a huge wingspan. So, I think the size and the athleticism, they're not huge, bulky guys. I mean, the decade's 245. Nunez is close to 250. And other than that, you got a couple string beans at 210, at 6'9", or whatever. So, they're going to have to be athletic. They're going to have to get them down the floor. I've watched Coach Oliver. That is exactly what they have done is every drill is geared towards inbound it, run it up, get a shot up. I think it's a tough adjustment for David Sloan, um, but seeing him the other day, he was buying in and got the ball, two dribbles, cross half court, pass. Somebody got a shot up in like five seconds. So um, that's exciting to see the style that they're going to play. So many new guys, how do they mesh? It's interesting because you do have so many returners. And how are those guys from the old guard mesh with sort of the new guard, and how do they go? Obviously, the Brewer brothers. Oh, yeah, right. First time on the microphone. Get excited. Uh, I almost fell down. Get excited. So the, the, the exciting part is I think the Brewer brothers, you know, are going to be able to, to score and do – Vonnie's going to be Vonnie. He'll just be the solid guy. I think Silas will be a solid, you know, defender, one of the more talented, probably underrated shot blockers in our league in quite some time. It seemed like he didn't do it a lot, but when he needed to, he'd block a shot and, more importantly, kept it in play. And Bruce Trambarker's here. He would ad nauseum tell you about keeping the ball in play and blocking it with his off hand. So I, I think that's important. Um, what about you, your thoughts? Well, I'll leave it to you to talk ETSU men's basketball for about a minute and a half of the first show of the year knock us off the air because you are so fired up. And I'm jacked up. <laughs> the one thing I'll add, because you always will break this down better than myself because you're around it more, you know it better, you know the history, everything, voice of the box, right? But the one thing that I think if you go past the roster picking, right, because you're going to see the height, the size uh, that's there. Now, they didn't bring in, you know how much I wanted, the seven foot one, seven foot two guys during uh, Portal Watch last year. I was begging ETSU to bring a seven-foot guy, and that didn't happen, but there are a number of big bodies that will make this a formidable front line. You go past that, and you click into the bios, and you read about some of the newcomers. I think who's going to jump off the page is Mohamed Yasser, because he has done a ton in his international career, originally from Egypt, of course, NBA Africa, basketball without borders, NBA Academy Games, youngest player to win the Egyptian League title, a 
champion of the Basketball Africa League in that inaugural year, has been on and in front of some NBA scouts, have been on NBA radars uh, for quite some time. And you look at it and you're like, this almost seems a little bit too good to be true. And now the question is, is it a little bit too good to be true? Because you see his size, right, 6'5", great for a guard, 183. Okay, a little bit slight, but that's to be expected when you come in as uh, a young man, 18, 19 years old, um, into a program at the college level. You're going to get into a weight program, going to get into a routine, and you're going to put on weight. Um, I think he's got unbelievable upside. Now, what will playing time look like with Sloan and the Brewer brothers in the backcourt? You know, obviously Ty can play, and so can Ladarius, but Ty tends to play a little bit more of that three position, can even play some four, and I can play some five if he really has grown to six, nine. But Mohab Yasser, I think, is going to be someone that is a possible game-changing type player. Is what's on paper going to translate to the college game? Everything says he should be a star. Will that happen early? Will it happen late? Will it happen at all? That's the guy I think is most intriguing on the roster because the others, like a Jordan King, right, you know, perhaps more of a quantifiable asset than ETSU has. Some of the other guys we know more about. But especially when you're coming from overseas in an inaugural-type league, they're doing a lot now in Egypt and in Africa with um, trying to develop the game more. But that makes it difficult to know what the game is like over there. So with him being here now and getting a chance to hopefully at some point see him, I I know he was not on campus as of mid-August. I do not know if he has arrived yet. But I am anxious, a little bit giddy, to see him play because there's some knowns here, the Brewers, Sloan, Patterson, Hideke, as you mentioned, even Charlie Weber. And then with the newer players, you know, size, some college guys that you've seen a little bit from. But then there's that mystery, right? And to me, that's always the most fun thing about basketball. What will everyone do when they're together? What will they do in new settings? What will the guys you don't know as well be able to contribute? I think it's going to be interesting to see exactly what you said, sort of the new guys. I will say this. They're similar to Steve Forbes, they're going to be a 10-man rotation early, maybe even 11. And then as it goes, it tightens up. I have a feeling it's going to be the same way. So early on, Coach Oliver's going to give 10, 11, I don't know, 12 guys a shot to get out there, run, get some shots up, play defense, college level, get some experience, and see sort of where it falls. And then that rotation will tighten up. We saw that with Coach Forbes. We saw it with Coach Shea as well. And I believe Desmond Oliver, by the way he's running things and how fast and how he wants to run, you're going to have to do that. So those guys are going to be able to show themselves early. And I will be curious to see by game five, you know, if we kind of revisit mine and your thought process, game one, what we think, and then maybe come back game five when we get to that point and just see, like, where even the women, I think it would be the same thing. Let's take a look at sort of what, you know, who's jumped out and all that, who's going to be able to take advantage of it. And then also, you know, for somebody like Mohab Yassir, I, I think the big thing for him is he's played such a grueling schedule that he's played a college-like schedule. You, you know, I think for Cordell Charles at IMG, he played a college-like schedule. For some other guys that are freshmen, I, I don't know that they have. Uh, well, Nunez, I guess, at Hartgrave. When you play at academies, you get some of that, but – Isaac Farrar, what about him? Alan Struthers, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, and I know you play AU and all that, but that's still not the same schedule as the other guys I just mentioned. 
that it's still not because they're they're playing that schedule and the AAU circuit. So um, I'll be curious to see how which freshman the academies versus basically the, the three academies versus the three high schoolers, true high school players, not at academies, how they shape up throughout the year. I, find, I usually find that stuff very fascinating. Final question. And this involves centrally ETSU men's basketball. Is the Southern Conference more wide open than ever on the men's basketball side? Yeah, I think, it, you know, for many years it has been basically the four teams, right? Correct. And really, championship-wise, three teams, ETSU, UNCG, Wofford. Furman has obviously battled for league titles. So um, big, so big. I'm not, like but they haven't been, they haven't been a championship right. game. They You're haven't right. been a championship game. So, but those four, quite frankly, have been running the roost. Now, out of those four, the only one I think you can feel real confident about right this second, saying, "Hey, they got a shot." Is Furman. You know, but they returned the most. They got the most known. UNCG's turnover roster tremendously lost most of their key players. Got guys that played elsewhere, but. We haven't seen a lot of them. I think certainly ETSU returns to second most. Well, Wofford, I guess, returns to second most in ETSU. And then there's a couple of teams I think you can't ignore. What Mercer was able to do at the end of the year last year and, uh, quite frankly, what Chattanooga was able to do. I mean, Chattanooga had to play a Southern Commerce tournament game without, what, two or three of their starters. They had eight guys. They had to elevate a practice player to a, a uniform just to get the game in. So, I think Chattanooga, plus Chattanooga arguably got the best transfer in America. I mean, up there. They got DeSosa from Kansas. He was not guilty of the last court case he just had. I mean, he's the fact that we have to bring it up, but yes, understand that. I mean, I mean, David Sloan was on that Kansas State team where they had the brawl where uh, he picked up the chair. He's the guy that had the chair in the stands, luckily didn't hit anybody with it. But he's that guy. But on the court, his talent, which ETSU faced at, at Kansas. Unquestionable. Yeah, unbelievable. And you add that to a lot of key guys back for Chattanooga. And then, honestly, I don't know what to do about Bucky Ball. I keep looking at that roster. I keep looking at that. I've talked to many, many people above my head um, on the roster and Bucky and everything, and it's head-scratching to them. He's either an evil genius or – in two years, this, this is going to be one of the worst experience, uh, experiments that Sanford has ever done. Well, if you listened to the show last year, you know my take on it. I do, and I was not trying to get you fired up. Yeah. I think me and mine said it was going to take a step back, unfortunately, and they and they had very nice years. VMI, um, uh, I can't – you're not a Dan Earl fan like I am. I um, like Dan Earl. Dan Earl's like a Dan nice Earl. guy. You guys are just too high on him. Dan Earl, <laughs> see, now you got me fired up. Now you know exactly what buttons are pushing here for. Uh, UNCG – this can kind of act as a okay. round out of the transfer portal as well, our portal watch from last year, because as we'll talk about poll predictions here in a couple seconds, we never did do another show after we, uh, I don't want to say promised, but it said we probably would to try and break a tie in poll predictions. We never did. Portal watch continued uh, off air for us, uh, but as we bring it back here in August of 2021 to try and give you a pretty decent picture of how things look with the teams you talked about, Jay, the Millers are gone at UNCG. We know that, right? Wes and Isaiah. Angelo Allegri transferred to Eastern Washington. We covered that on Portal Watch, but a number of contributors last year on UNCG that had not left when we were last on air did leave and followed Wes Miller to Cincinnati, including A.J. McGinnis, Hayden Koval, who you know I was big on, 
and also uh, Jared Hensley, who was, I believe, their first top 150 recruit in the history of the program, or at least since 2000, since they started doing recruiting rankings. Uh, Furman, Noah Gurley to Alabama. Okay, they don't lose a lot else, right? Clay Mouse is gone. We know that, but in terms of transfers, it was just Noah Gurley. You do have Mike Bothwell. Uh, Alex Hunter. Now, oh, your favorite player. Oh, you're about to yada yada Alex Hunter. No, 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 no. I was about to fight no, no, no. you. Okay. It's in bold and italics. Like, he may be the only non-ETSU guest I have on this year. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jalen Slauson back, too. So I would agree when you look on paper at who is back, very confident, I'd say, at least comparatively to the other teams in Furman uh, because they did have a good year last year. ETSU, now we know they bring back a lot as well, right? The Brewer brothers we mentioned, David Sloan. Bonnie Patterson, Charlie Weber. But unfortunately, you have to look at the year last year and say, yeah, he started 6-1 and one in the league, but this was, at the end of the season, a 500 team. Hard facts. The hard truth. You don't want to look at it that way, especially here on this show, but that is what it was. So that core was not enough, granted, in a season that had a lot going on, a ton going on. But it was not enough to and make noise in the regular season over the entire season or in the and, and an event in losses, I mean... Uh, yeah, absolutely. The, the two, two Chattanooga <laughs> ones are head-scratching. Oh, still. Um, on top of a few others. But the, the, the two Chattanooga losses are the first... I mean, you could have made... Honestly, ETSU had a couple games that went their way that you could argue they could have been four or five games under 500. They certainly could have been four or five games over 500 when you take a look at that, but they just had some heartbreaking losses, and then it came right at the time when the controversy broke out, and then it just was they wanted to be I, mean, I think everybody, I think me and you probably the first time in my entire career, I just needed the season to be over. I, I just needed to wash myself and, and, and take a day off, and just unbelievable. Just, anyways. Wofford, Storm Murphy to Virginia Tech, Mike Bothwell uh, to Trey Holloway. Trey <laughs> Holloway. I always confused those two when they were in the league, too, because they had similar length names, you know. Trey Holloway. And played actually similar. Exactly. Uh, so the top two scorers gone for Wofford. I think the question there is, can you find that leading scorer? Those were your top two guys from last year. Is Messiah Jones someone that's going to be able to lead you in scoring? He's their leading returning scorer and have it be a successful year. Granted, Wofford was stout last year, right? 12-5. and five. I thought they were going to be relatively where they were the year prior. They ended up having a very solid season ended up finishing a half game back at UNCG for the league title, and then, of course, Furman was third. And then if you look at the standings, you run into Chattanooga. Malachi Smith is back. David G. Baptiste is back. Darius Banks is back. Of course, you're going Honestly, A.J. Caldwell, just a heck of a shot by a heck of a guy. He I'll, is back. I do love him. And then you have transfers. We mentioned DeSouza and Avery Diggs at 6'11", comes yeah, in from UCF. I forgot about him. That's so a good one. there is a ton there for Chattanooga, and without giving away too much of how things are going to look over the next number of months here on the show – you can see how someone would look at the roster, look at what's back, look at what's gone from the rest of the league, and say, the Chattanooga Hawks may be your 2021-22 Southern Conference men's basketball champion. So I do think, I mean, just on that you, statement alone, I mean, you, you lost me there. Yeah, you, you had me, then you lost me. I mean, that's what makes me think this is going to be more of a wide-open league than ever, because those top four, I think you can make a case that all four have taken steps back. I think two definitely have. And, of course, Furman and, for me, ETSU will be the ones that maybe did not. But Wofford and UNCG are the ones that did. And then Chattanooga as that fifth team last year, quote-unquote, fourth, fifth team. Um, and, you know, I loved Mercer from last year. Uh, they didn't perform early in the season, especially when they were going through a couple of injuries and 
personnel was shifting, and then late in the season, things really didn't get much better with Magic Bender suddenly not playing. He was a big piece that down the stretch wasn't really contributing at all. So there were some things there that I think held them back, but they would be another team, as you mentioned. This is six or seven more teams that I think will be very interesting to watch this year, much like football. I'll say this. I'm very happy that Southern Conference does not release ballots of how I vote. (laughs) So I'm just saying, for football and basketball. Just, I just want to back up his claim that 12 teams got in a shootout. We won our flight. 12 teams got in a shootout. 24 golfers teed off from a tee box. Everyone got north except for one guy who hit it dead left and a dribbler off the tee into a sand trap. And, yeah, that was me. 23 other golfers hit tee shots that looked like a golf shot. I did not. It was ugly. So my take that you will never scuff another drive, drive at John State Cooking Club was hard. That did not live. I mean, when you said that in the spring and you randomly did it, and, I, and honestly, I was playing pretty good golf then, playing pretty good. Uh, several rounds in the 70s, feeling good about myself, won our flight, 
hit several long putts to get us in there, and then, uh, yeah, it didn't go well. Well, you're a Damari Monsanto take. Oof. I mean, and before anybody crushes me, you know out there, Buckland, you were on board. I could show you either private messages or tweets where you guys are putting them in the Hall of Fame. I was not alone in that. Don't you dare come at me on the Damari Monsanto take, because at the time of the take, you guys were on board. Now, the MLB take I had, I mean, when Babe Ruth didn't get in there, when I talk, you guys which is funny because I was a huge uh, Ichiro guy. Maybe I just want to—I don't want to give anybody else credit, but that's okay. Shohei is having maybe the single greatest season in the history of baseball. It's been fun to watch. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. Okay, so bold predictions from 2020. The first, let's go back a couple of years actually. So the I'm two zero and one. That's what I've got. Hold on. First oh. year, we tied. Okay, we had to come back for a second. You're really the only reason the show went on in year two is we had to. Break you wanted to, you wanted to settle it, and you won that. I'll give you that. You won in 2019. Hold on, I'm writing this down. Fair and square. W. You won. W. Okay. Last year, uh, I have to say, I think was another tie. I mean, you're up 25 to 22, and we said we come back. I get one w. more shot. Nah, I don't think so. I get one w. more shot at making up the ground that I didn't have because you made more takes than I did. You kind of stacked the deck. Uh, there may have been some shady collusion involved with I'm yourself and the commission that keeps track. Of bold predictions. I never got that chance, so I think that's another tie. I think I'm uh, 0 1 and 2, and this year I can tie. 2 0 and 1. I think uh, we'll put it to the committee, but I believe 0 the 1 committee. And 2 is going to win out. I don't know how to tell you that, but. The committee. That means this year. Is that you? Are out. you the committee? Who's the committee? Uh, we do not release the names of the committees <laughs> on this show. We keep that private. So 2 0 and 1. So if I win this year, we're 1 1 and 2, and then I would have to come back again. And for year five of the show, we'd have to do a tiebreak. I mean, that's pretty incredible. So if you – 2 and one We do not have full predictions this week. I uh, just need to recap so everyone was clear that last year a tie between myself and Jay. Thursday. Uh, one year has gone one of our ways decisively, and it was Jay's one day. We'll have both predictions up there. Matt, three more wins. That's decisive. Uh, it's decisive. No? Okay. Uh, so Thursday. Yeah. What do you got? Well, we're going to break down the Southern Conference in depth. Great detail. And we will break down ETSU versus Vanderbilt. In great detail. 21 and a half point line just opened up. Wow. That's about where I thought it would be. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking maybe 17 to 24. That's where I thought. That's right on. And then we'll have all predictions, and I think that's the show. And and we may have a couple comments from Randy Sanders' coaching show from Wednesday. We also have a mystery guest, so on and so forth. Are you excited? I'm excited. Big show, big year. I've already knocked the mic down three times. Let's go. All right, we'll be back with you Thursday. Another edition. Sanderson Sidekick. Buccaneers, more dark work.